Indeed, O oh God, we are a people, a needy people, a people who bear the scars of leaning on our own strength and being so insistent on our independence and doing it our way and going our way, and we have paid a price, so many of us paid a price for that kind of determination to be in control of our lives. And so we come with a glad admission, with a glad sense that indeed we are people who need thee. You are not our helper, Lord. You are our help. Were it not for the Lord, were it not for the Lord, says Israel, we would have been swept away by all of the forces of our own sin, the, the wooings of Satan, and the, the press of the flesh. And so we come to own all over again our dependence, our reliance, our eagerness to lean upon you. And now, Father, we pray that what happens here today will last forever that some spiritual gain might be made on all of our parts, that we might inch forward in our efforts to become, by the power of the Holy Spirit, more like Jesus. And now might this, uh, this time in our worship service be so sacred and so um, profoundly rich spiritually for us as we give, Lord, We have so much beyond necessity. So take this that's that's extra and use it for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and let's uh, continue our study in the uh, life of Jacob. And you follow as I read, beginning at verse... 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, 
For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the, of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There are very few stories in all the Bible like this one. I can only think of one. Genesis 22. You remember Genesis 22 was the place where... Um, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to, um, I want you to take your son, your only beloved son, Isaac, and I want you to take him to a place that I'll show you, and I want you to sacrifice him there. Well, that indeed does rival this story, but um, may I say that what that event was for Abraham, this event was for Jacob. The, the kind of life realtering that occurs um, for Abraham in Genesis 22 occurs for Jacob in Genesis 32. If you're an exegete, that is, if you love, uh, if you, <laughs> we'll explain that later, but if you're an exegete, folks, there are portions of this story that you're going to find just downright unexegetable. Every, every detail of this story is important. Every detail is, um, is worthy of our spending some time. But what I want to do, I, I've drawn four details out of it. Now, I'm not sure we're going to have time to do all four of them. But we'll, we'll see as we go. But um, I've drawn four details out of this little episode that, that I want you to... I want to fix on this morning. One of them is the most important of all. The other three flow out of that one. The, the first one is the big one. That's the one that you've got to get straight. And then from there, we'll, um, we'll see where it takes us. So um, here's the first one. Here's the, here's the first detail. Who is this? Who is this man? Um, who is this mysterious man that shows up all of a sudden for this, this wrestling match with, with Jacob? We know, we know who Jacob is. We know in terms of the, the duo that's there. We know, we know his name. We know his identity. But who is this, this mysterious Opponent that seems to come out of nowhere. Gang, the identity of this man emerges um, ever so slowly over the course of a of a five to seven hour period in which this wrestling match is taking place. Understand that it was dark and there's nothing like a 
Palestinian darkness, but it was plenty dark enough not to be able to detect. And for now, at least early on, this man refuses to be ID'd. The fact that this man does not wrestle free from Jacob's grasp has prompted a few to suggest that this really is not a real event at all. It's just a a kind of internal struggle that's going on in the life of Jacob that is only allegorized as as an actual wrestling event. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm not one of those who would suggest that to you. In fact, there are a lot of people who would tell you that Genesis 3 is only an allegory. It's only a fable that that is Genesis 3. That how, where, where have you ever seen a snake talk in the garden? Ah, it's just allegory. Well, I don't believe it about Genesis 3, and I don't believe it about Genesis 32. What you have here is what um, is known in theological circles as a theophany. You want to impress your friends, just, just drop that word on them. It's a theophany. It's, a, it's an appearance of God. You see it happening a couple of times, and a couple of three times in the Old Testament. Um, another one is in Exodus 3. You remember that? When uh, the burning bush meets up with Moses. Well, guys, uh, it is an event, and it's only towards the end of this event. It's only towards the end of the contest when, when daylight has broken that the identity, this, this identity issue is settled. Jacob has wrestled with God. And he says so a couple of times in verse 28 and verse 30. Now, gang, you need to stay with me because the plot is now thickening. This fight, the real a real event, is a parable about Jacob's life, and not only his, but ours as well. Jacob had actually been wrestling with God for a long, long time. Jacob thought that his, uh, his number one opponent was his brother Esau. You know, the one that was the firstborn. Or maybe it was his daddy Isaac, you know, who refused to give him the the patriarchal blessing, and so he had to steal it from him. Or maybe it was his father-in-law, Laban. Laban's the one that makes my life so difficult. You know, uh, kept changing his wages on him ten times. But none of those was his real opponent, ladies and gentlemen. His real opponent is God. It was God all along. And so here he is, stripped. Did you notice that? That is everything, all the family, everything, everything is gone. Stripped of all that he had worked so hard to gain. There he is, alone, exhausted, afraid. And God forces him to realize that his real problem is not Esau. It's not Laban. And neither is 
is yours. The problem is not financial, it's not marital, it's not social, it's not professional, it's not educational. Jacob's real problem was his distance from God. And so is ours. You know, guys, um, when you when you watch a child that you raised in a loving home turn his back on you and and spurn the love that you gave, or you you find out that you've got some wretched, dreadful disease, or you find yourself trapped in a job that you hate but you can't leave it, and, or you you finally admit that that you're That your marriage is lifeless. Those aren't just personal problems, ladies and gentlemen. Those are spiritual problems. And and the solution to those problems are not going to be found in some kind of new scheme or a new plan or a, 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 a new strategy. No, no. You're going to have to wrestle with God. And you're going to find out, just like Jacob did, that the issue is not my marriage. The issue is not my job. The issue, no, no, it's not, it's not educational or professional or social. It's none of that. The issue is there is an ungodly distance between me and God. And the question for you is the same question that Jacob faced. The the question for Jacob was the same one that it is for us. And the question is, will you yield? Will you surrender? Can you find it in you to love submission? To God. Folks, those are hard questions for, for accomplished people like you are. Those are hard questions for the, for the wealthy and for the, uh, the educated and the successful. Because lodged in the human heart, my friend, is a hatred of submission. Not just for women. For men. Gang, this story, this story is about you and God. And the question is, will you yield? Will you ever come to the place in your whole spiritual life Where you surrender. 
So this is, this is a, this is a story about Jacob in a wrestling match with God, which is a parable. It's a parable about all of us, ladies and gentlemen. About all of us who think that the problem is one thing when the problem is not that. Oh, yeah, there's complexities in our life. I mean, oh, boy, every, oh, there, there's family ones and there's, there's um, career ones and there's uh, neighborhood ones and there's school. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But those aren't just personal problems. Those are spiritual problems. And the question is, can you ever come to the place where you find a love inside of you for submission? That's the first detail that we've got to get straight. This is Jacob versus God. Or Jacob versus Jimmy. Or Jacob versus Martha. The issue is, will you ever yield? Will you ever yield? Now guys, that brings me to my second detail. And and I'm telling you, I could spend an awful lot of time on this and we don't have it. But um, um, am I the only one that thought it was odd that uh, God showed up not to, di- not to discuss the issues, uh, not to meet over the issues, not to, um, you know, enter into a dialogue with Jacob about the issues. Jacob, or God shows up. To wrestle. Now, gang, there, there are few of us know anything about wrestling. I guess Brandon Wright does. He, uh, he's a very accomplished wrestler, but there's not many of us. But, but, you know, you've seen a picture from time to time about a wrestler, and, and you know, it's different from boxing. You know, you can, have, you can have a flabby waistline and be a good boxer. But when you wrestle... I mean, have you ever seen that thing, you know, and all those muscles that are rippling all over their bodies and their legs and their arms and their backs and their shoulders? You know, and, and did, am I the only one that thinks this is odd? That God shows up not to, not to race him. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't come to, um, uh, you know, have a, have a contest of uh, wits. He comes to wrestle. This is a fight. God didn't show up to to share tea and crumpets. He shows up to fight. And, And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, somewhere in your whole understanding of who God is and who you are, that's got to get stuck in there. That on occasion, the God that we speak so sweetly about and and all true, this God sometimes shows up to fight you. And to enter into a contest 
just to discover. Will you yield? Gang, it, it, doesn't, take, it doesn't take a great study of this story. It, 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 just a superficial reading of it. And you will notice that Jacob is not in charge in this thing. Uh, you know, Jacob is responding to the forces of his life that are pressing in on him. And he thinks that, that his major problem is Esau. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, Esau is peanuts compared to the man. Gang, you, you've got to see this about this story. God initiates this, as he always does. God is the initiator, as he always is. God picks this fight. God interrupts this, this impending meeting with Esau so that he can spend the night wrestling with one of his. This all-night wrestling match. And what Jacob thought was his problem, Esau coming with the army, that ain't his problem at all. That thing, that, that issue with Esau and the army of 400 men, oh, 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 that gets set aside. While bigger issues are confronted. It's as if in this whole setting, the communication is, Jacob, I don't give one whit about all your flocks and all of your possessions and all of your family. I don't give one whit about that, at least for the moment. What I want to know is will you ever yield? Because, Jacob, this problem, your problem, is not with Esau. Your problem's with me. And the whole issue of Esau is about to get a whole lot smaller. Gang, If there is anything that I know that would influence how you manage life, I don't know of anything else more important than this. I, I'm, I'm, you might think that's hyperbole. You might think it's an overstatement, and I am good at that. But as best I can say, I am not overstating when I say if there is anything that will influence how you manage life, it is how you view God. That is, how you view Him is going to influence how you view yourself, how you view your problems, how you view your marriage, how you view your job, how you view your stuff, everything. Gang, if anything will change our perspective, it will be when, when God gets a whole lot bigger because Esau, 
I mean, Esau will pale into insignificance when I meet up face to face with God. When I come to grasp Him as the grand initiator, or I tell you this, in theological terms, use this word. When I come to see Him as sovereign in all of life, it will change how I view everything. Ladies and gentlemen, the man is the initiator in the entire story of redemption. And the Bible never tires of pointing that out to us. You know, gang, um, just a quick one, just a quick Genesis chapter 3, the entrance of sin. Um, Adam and Eve eat the apple. And then what happens? Um, after Adam sins, tell me, who is the hider and who is the seeker? Huh. It, who is it that seeks whom? Ladies and gentlemen, that, that, that one little illustration, it's always that way. It is always God who is the initiator. You know, for Jacob's part, uh, he, like his ancient forebear Adam, he would have loved to have avoided this thing. He'd just as soon hide from this man. But God won't allow that. The fight is God's idea. And part of the reason, just part of the reason for the fight, is that Jacob has got to learn something about the bigness of God. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what it is that you're experiencing right now. Maritally or professionally or financially or um, familiarly. You know what? It might be the man. And part of the reason for all this that you, that's confronting you. It might be that for you, God needs to get a whole lot bigger. And I say to you, my dear brother and sister in Christ, I hope, I hope you get to have one of these. I hope you get to have two or three or four as many as it will take to bring you to the place that you worship. Ladies and gentlemen, Jacob is at this spot for a reason. And it's not to meet Esau. <laughs> this, this spot was, was God's idea. And he's there because God has scheduled 
a wrestling match. And it is a moment of reckoning in Jacob's life. It is the moment that will make Jacob great. And it is a moment that is engineered and arranged and managed and initiated by God. Wrestling with God is, is not exactly on Jacob's to-do list. I mean, he's got, he's got bills to pay and planes to catch and, and uh, deals to broker. But you see, Jacob's not in charge. The man is. And Jacob has got to learn. He's got to learn that the man is in charge. And he's got to learn it in a way that it will seep down from his head and overtake his heart. And that's going to involve wrestling. And God initiated it. And he is one formidable foe. And he is not to be toyed with. The God of this event should send a chill down your spine. It did Jacob's. And once it does, change everything. I've got two more details. And we're out of time. So let me tell you a story and I'll quit. The name Mercia Eliad, ring a bell with anybody? Mercia was a... Um, he was, he was a Romanian. He was a, he was a historian. He was a religious historian. And uh, through World War II, he was, he was one time um, in a concentration camp, but eventually ended up in America and was on the faculty of Chicago School of Divinity. And that's where he died. He was a prolific writer, wrote a whole bunch of stuff. But um, um, he tells of a legend that was uh, a well-known legend in, in uh, the mountains of Nepal. And according to this legend, um, in, in, the, in the cool, cold, frigid mountain airs of Nepal, there was a huge wax god that sat on the top of one of those mountains in solitary splendor, enshrined in his own little, his own little shrine. And, and generations of villagers from the valley below would, would make their way up that mountain to worship at this shrine. Um, but there, there came a time that, um, that some of the villagers uh, decided that it would be better if they could bring 
their God down from this this chilly mountaintop citadel and 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 put him establish him in the the center of the marketplace in the center of the village uh, you know be, in, in that way he would be more accessible and it would be more convenient and and worship wouldn't be quite such a bother but but um as you might have guessed, in the, the heat of the following days, this, um, this wax god uh, softened and, and began to sag in places. And, and, and the villagers realized that they could, they could now make changes uh, in their god. And, and, and those uh, in the village who thought that um, the, the, the countenance on this god seemed a, a bit too angry, uh, would had fashioned a, a delightful smile on this God. And it was not very long before they had this God looking exactly like they wanted him to look. But in the heat, he continued to sag, and little by little, the, the, the people began to, to tear off chunks of wax and and take them to their home and light their homes and soon all of the wax and all of the god was gone what a commentary on the god of the 21st century modern mind Ladies and gentlemen, when we mold God into our image and use Him to meet our needs, we will soon find that we have no God at all. And when we forget that we exist to do His bidding, not the other way around, Part of the reason is because we have forgotten that he is the initiator. This God, the real God, he is sovereign in all of his ways. There is no other God that's worth worship, ladies and gentlemen. Now you tell me, is the God that you believe in this one? Or is your God more moldable, shapeable? Because if He is, I hope, I hope that one day soon, He will schedule with you a wrestling match. And you will walk away from that forever changed.
Father, I do pray that you will restore a, a sense of your majesty and awe to this people, to me. That we might no longer find ourselves toying with you. And that you will arrange and engineer and manage whatever circumstance necessary to bring us to the place where we gladly, willingly, joyfully surrender. To the God who is sovereign in all of His ways and glorious in His beauty. Might that God who has revealed Himself in Christ Jesus become our God by faith in the finished work of Christ. Do that, Father, for the expansion of the kingdom's sake for the establishment of your own glory. Do that. We ask it in Jesus' name.